We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Troche, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, our lead college football writer at SportingNews.com. And again, Bill, we have a special guest on Signing Day 2.0 for 2023, John Garcia Jr., a fellow podcast host here in the CFB Nation network uh we've got he is uh the cfp nation state of recruiting podcast host does it all by himself does one heck of a job john welcome in good to be on with you guys this has been a long time coming and obviously it's a great time to to combine our forces here to to talk a little bit of of the future of the sport which you guys do so very well uh, at the all america pod so happy to be here Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, let's get right into it. Signing day 2.0. It's not as exciting as signing day 1.0, but there was still some excitement already in the day. We're recording uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Nicholas Harbor, five star, is expected to announce probably during this podcast. Uh, we will we'll keep an eye on that one as we go. But uh, the biggest fish probably or this the biggest headline anyway. Uh, has already popped. Quart- quarterback Jaden Rashada. Uh, he was looking at Arizona State after his, uh, you know, decommitment post signing day from Florida. After his decommitment from Miami, and everyone's familiar with all of his background and with the NIL battle that went on between those two schools. And uh, he he was let out of his letter of intent that he signed in December with Florida. He poked around. He landed at Arizona State. John, what did you think about that? It looked like uh, that might be a, a landing spot for him. What's your reaction to him going to the Sun Devils? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, I think this is a great fit. Uh, obviously, you know, West Coast kid, Northern California native, Pittsburgh, California, um, stand out over the last few varsity seasons. Uh, really a great football player, which unfortunately gets lost in a lot of the the drama around his recruitment. Um, but look, uh, Arizona State head coach, I was going to say offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, formerly of Oregon as an OC, as well as Florida State. This is a longstanding relationship between he and Rashada and Dillingham is sort of quickly built this reputation as not only this up-and-coming young offensive recruiter, but a quarterback developer. I think what he did in particular with Bo Nix in 2022 kind of vaulted him up, uh, up the chain there, up the tier list uh, from a recruiting perception perspective, which is very important when you're talking about teenagers and developmental quarterbacks. So that longstanding relationship with Rashada was always going to play a factor after he asked out of that letter of intent uh, from the Florida Gators. And sure enough, the first visit Rashada took after that point was to Arizona state to check out the new digs for Dillingham. Who's an Arizona native now back home leading uh, that, that rebuild there in Tempe. And I think uh, it was really a hit the ground running kind of deal from a relationship perspective because they had so much familiarity. And then on top of it, Look, there's a lot of family ties between the Rashada camp and ASU. His brother lives there. His dad played for ASU, I believe, in the, in the late 90s. So there was a lot of familiarity with the school independent of Kenny Dillingham. So combining those two forces, I think, was really critical. And I think the timing was critical, too. Um, th- this kid's name's been kind of drugged through the mud for, for quite a while now. So I think there was an acceleration to this. He didn't have to sign today. He didn't have to be done with the process. We heard about many schools trying to get involved from Cal to Colorado, maybe Washington at one point, but really it came down to Arizona State and TCU, the two schools he spent uh, visits uh, with over the last two weekends. And uh, as, as soon as we got closer to signing day, there was really a, an increased level of confidence from Kenny Dillingham's camp. Um, he was even public about some of the hints with Rashada. So you just knew if it was to end sooner rather than later, it was going to benefit the Sun Devils. And I think this is a great spot, not only with that familiarity for Jaden, but also from a developmental standpoint. Drew Pine is there, the Notre Dame transfer. So he'll theoretically be able to sit and develop and learn from a guy who's who's been around. Uh, so that combined with Dillingham and that offense, I think will help Rashada ease into a spotlight role and, and kind of separate himself, distance himself 
from all the NIL drama that unfortunately is tied to his name right now. Right. I think he's always going to be known as the $13 million man. Right. And that's <laughs> yeah. an unfortunate thing for him. And it's tough to, to, to drag around, but he is, he's going to a program that is lower profile than the SEC, lower profile than, than the, you know, the Miami quarterback kind of thing. And like you said, Drew Pines coming in from Notre Dame, he'll probably expect to start. Arizona State also returns a Trenton Bourget, who started five games last year for him. They're bringing in uh, BYU's backup quarterback from last year, Jacob Conover. A lot of quarterbacks. I don't think it's going to be under immediate pressure to perform. Uh, and like I said, you know, Arizona State is not one of the uh, programs that's going to get a ton of attention. I think he's good with not getting some attention <laughs> after uh, this summer and and, and fall. Um, so maybe that is a good spot for him. Yeah, there's no doubt there was a fatigue. I think there was a fatigue even after the first signing day when when we saw him at the Under Armour All-America Week in Orlando. Yeah, Jaden was was kind of over it already. And at that time, there was a little bit of buzz about maybe some some discourse between he and Florida. But at that point, he was signed and just waiting to enroll about a week later. Um, obviously, there was a lot more going on than we all realized. So yeah, I think this was accelerated by design from the Rashada side of things. He, he wants to just enroll at ASU and, and go play football, which at the end of the day is, is what he's best at and, and the reason why uh, so much of, of this stuff has, has kind of dusted up around his name. But look, this is a 6'4", highly productive California quarterback with as smooth uh, throwing motion and as big an arm as, as almost any quarterback in this class. So he's an extremely valuable long-term developmental option at the quarterback position. So him being able to focus on that with someone he's familiar with and Kenny Dillingham, I think was a great situation for him to jump into. So in that regard, not surprised he ended it on, on signing day, even though he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim, mm-hmm. We have a uh, breaking news and, you know, we're going to let you flex your breaking news skills here. Now that uh, there's a five-star defensive end, Nicholas Harbor, he will let you tell us where he's committed, but, uh, and he's following a couple other five stars that have gone to this school in recent years that have generated a lot of uh, publicity. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, Nicholas Harbor, uh, the freakiest two-sport star in this class of 2023, 6'5", 233 pounds, is off the board to South Carolina. Shane Beamer and company doing a great job in the buzz department uh, and capitalizing on the end of, of their season of course upsetting those couple of teams sporting orange uh, in clemson and, and tennessee uh just a huge huge grab uh for perception of south carolina football and the ceiling of its recruiting prowess i mean this is a dc kid with no traditional ties to usc or the eastern usc as, as they say closer to home and and this this really is is a plant the flag moment um this was the most polarizing closest battle to call going into signing day harbor had about a top five of, of South Carolina, Oregon, Michigan, Miami, uh, among the schools involved. Maryland, the home state school, what was active in this recruitment. But really, it came down to South Carolina and Oregon. And look, South Carolina built early buzz, got him on campus early, prioritized the football and track and field path that Harbor wants to take. Uh, but Oregon got the last visit. And when track and field and NIL and those factors pop up with the Ducks, They're hard to beat, especially when you get the last red carpet 48 hours in Eugene just a couple days ago over the weekend. So there was a ton of bugs coming out of the Oregon side of this thing. 
and I would say a confidence to go along with it from that Dan Lanning led coaching staff. And why not? You know, you got the Phil Knight factor, the NIL, the NIL factor. And of course, from a track and field standpoint, for those who don't know, Oregon offers something very unique. I mean, it's arguably the best facility, not only in the country, but maybe the world when it comes to track and field, they hold the Olympic trials there. So if you are an aspirational Olympian like Harbor is, it's a big deal to pass it up, but that's exactly what happened today for South Carolina. So this is a huge banner deal. South Carolina SEC track, no slouch on that side of, of the coin, but really from a football standpoint, um, this is a banner national win that everybody kind of feels and ingests at South Carolina. Not something that happens every cycle uh, there in Columbia. So a huge moment on an otherwise quiet national signing day will captivate the entire country. So, now we'll see. Is this the best signee since, you know, Jordan Birch, who has since hit the portal and ironically ended up at Oregon or maybe a Jadavian Clowney? I mean, could it be that big of a deal? I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Harbor is more raw of an athlete than polished like Clowney was. But whether he's a tight end or a defensive end, this is as, as big and freaky an athlete as there is in the country. Again, 6'5", 230, running 10-2-9 in the 100-meter dash. He just ran a personal best six six four in the hundred and the sixty. Excuse me, faster than guys like Anthony Schwartz, uh, who who had some Olympic flirtations a couple years ago. So this is a truly unique get for Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks on a national scale. Let's touch on two quick two tight ends before we move into some you know team discussions. Um, I listened to your podcast yesterday. And you were talking about Georgia potentially uh, scooping up two of the best tight ends in the country, Walker Lyons and Deuce Robinson. As of this recording, neither uh, are at uh, worth the, with the Bulldogs. Walker Lyons has committed to USC. Deuce Robinson, from what you understand, is not committing today. Let's f- fill us in on those two guys. Yeah, so I think the the optics of a Northern California explosive modern tight end recruit picking USC is not projecting as a big deal. But if you go into the buzz department, this was really all about Georgia with with really Utah presenting as the best Pac-12 option among those holding buzz for Walker Lyons, uh, who comes out of Folsom High School in Northern California. But but here comes Lincoln Riley. You know, there's always going to be a threat when he's involved, particularly with an offensive prospect. Uh, so this was kind of a quiet treading of water in second or third place for most of, of the recruiting process, but USC never wavered here. Uh, and obviously when you're, you're trying to build a, a pass catcher a pipeline here, um, you know, that's a program that you assume is always going to be stable at quarterback and is always going to throw the football. So even though Walker Lyons, who's a member of the LDS church, and he's going to take a mission for a couple of years when he's done, there's theoretically going to be a great quarterback passing situation in Los Angeles, whether it's somebody through the transfer portal like Lincoln Riley has mastered or the five-star they just signed in December in, in Malachi Nelson. So this is a, a really big pickup for USC down the stretch. We won't feel the impact on the field maybe until 24 or 25, but in principle, this is a big deal because the, all the buzz with, with, was with Georgia and it's understandable, right? I mean, their best player is a tight end from Northern California right now in Brock Bowers. So you understood why there was so much buzz after Lions took two visits to Georgia down the stretch of, of his recruitment. But yeah, big pickup for Lincoln Riley and a nice head-to-head win over Kirby Smart, which is obviously hard to come by these days. 
And then the other tight end? Yeah, Deuce, Deuce Robinson, Robinson yeah. um, kind of like Nicholas Harbor. You talk about two sports being important. This is maybe a guy who has even more upside in his secondary sport of, of baseball. Uh, maybe football is the secondary sport, which is impressive because he's the number one tight end in the country. I think <laughs> unanimously, no, no matter where you look at, at 6'6", 225 pounds. But yeah, he's got this Aaron Judge look to him and a lot of baseball folks recently have been you know upping the the eyeball meters uh, surrounding the Arizona native he's in between recruiting visits at showcases um and just just showing that immense power um and athleticism on on both sides there on the baseball front and there's now buzz saying that he could be a first rounder or maybe even a top 10 pick this summer during the MLB draft and I think when that is potentially on the table it's something you've got to explore to to a high degree before finalizing really anything relative to your college plan. But on, on the college side of this, of course, he'd like to play football and baseball. Georgia, again, has positioned itself as perhaps the favorite. USC was the longtime favorite, the early favorite here. Oregon, Texas, Alabama have all tried to stay in this race. Uh, but there was a sense if he ended the process on the first it would be Georgia's race to lose. Now that he's extending it, I think USC is right back in the picture and maybe an Oregon can command a visit late in the process. That's something that Deuce wants to do, but hasn't been able to do because of all the logistics and obligations when you're an elite baseball prospect this time of year. So a fascinating recruitment that will dip into the spring. And, and that's something we've seen with elite football recruits over the last couple of years. Last year, it was Josh Connerly, the offensive lineman who didn't end up at Oregon until April. The year prior, it was JT Tui Moloau out of uh, California before, excuse me, out of Washington before he ended up at Ohio State where he made a huge impact this past year. So this is going to be most likely the recruitment that spills deepest into the spring. But for the number one tight end and or a first round baseball projection, it's going to be worth it uh, for all the colleges trying to stay in the mix. The only difference is there's no guarantee Robinson really ever plays college football, depending on how these next few months go. So that one will be fascinating in its own right. John, uh, you know, when you look at the team rankings, I, I kind of use the phrase on the early signing day that it was an Alabama strikes back moment. They were able to, it seems like it always takes them a year, maybe a cycle, then they adjust, adapt, and they go right back to number one. So, you know, what have they maybe figured out it is have they figured out the balance between the NIL, the transfer portal, and just the talent development and the NFL things that Nick Saban's going to continue to do? Yeah, it's it's I think the reference of Alabama striking back is is perfect, right? It seems like every year Alabama on the field doesn't live up to its own lofty, unreasonable expectations in this day and age recruiting is like the reciprocating factor there and and you see Nick Saban almost double down on the future and and that's certainly what it looked like uh, with this class of 23 I think there was a couple of items he benefited from first of all the in-state crop for uh, the state of Alabama in the class of 23 was as good as we've ever seen particularly on the defensive line which was a huge need area for Alabama anyway so he was able to to really do damage uh, right at home, uh, landing a couple of Montgomery uh, standouts and James Smith and Quay Rousseau, maybe the two best players in the state of, of Alabama. Um, and then defensively, there was a lot of in-staters that they were able to win early and often for 
throughout this class. And I think elsewhere there was ambition. And I think that's the difference. When Alabama is seemingly more motivated and, and there's time in between any new NCAA regulations and, and for Nick Saban to adjust to them, like you mentioned, then that's where the ambition starts to really meet Nick Saban's history and track record. So going into the neighboring state of Georgia, even amid this Georgia mini dynasty or whatever we want to call it, and going out and grabbing maybe the two best prospects in the state of Georgia, including a legacy recruit in running back Justice Haynes, I think that was where we started to see kind of, okay, hey, this thing's tracking at a number one type level, and it might not be close thereafter. Sprinkle in a couple of of big-time flips, whether it was defensive end Keon Keeley or quarterback Eli Holstein from Texas A&M, and then it was kind of this traditional, big, balanced Alabama recruiting class that felt more like a 2016-2017 type of big uh, volume type haul compared to what we've seen over the last few years, which was that sort of um, supplementary piece relative to the transfer portal where Bama's still trying to figure it all out um, simultaneously. I, I think the motivation, the time to adjust, and really until recently, the staff continuity, that was really, I think, a sleeper positive for Alabama in this class. There's not many years where Nick Saban has the same coordinators recruiting a couple cycles in a row. And up until the last few weeks, he did have that in place with Bill O'Brien and, and Pete Golding, respectively, before each uh, has has found new ventures. So I do think that was important for Alabama because the message at the top is always great from Saban, but there's usually some turnover thereafter before National Signing Day. And this time around the last couple of years, it didn't happen. And there was some staff continuity at Alabama, which is really the only thing that hasn't been consistent about the program. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. One player Alabama did not get that they wanted was Arch Manning. Quarterback, of course, uh, well-publicized recruitment. Uh, He ends up at Texas. Uh, He was number one recruit here and there, different services, different times, things like that. You were in charge of the SI99 rankings. Uh, You put Dante Moore, quarterback who ended up at UCLA, as the number one player. Uh, Touch on Dante Moore and Arch Manning, what you saw, the two of those two guys, uh, and, and maybe, you know, where you think more can go as a true freshman at UCLA is no Dorian Thompson Robinson anymore. And then what your expectations are for Arch Manning when he goes to Texas and he's got Quinn Ewers already in place. Yeah, that's a great point. Look, this is splitting hairs here, right? Two top 10 prospects that have ironically a very similar 
both on-field resume and kind of a perception around their recruitment. I'll start with the recruitment. The development that these two guys are going to go experience is going to be minimal, meaning their floor is sky high. Both of them are four-year varsity high school starters. Both of them are the focal points and elevators of their entire team and seemingly community simultaneously. Both of them scholarship offers since eighth, ninth grade uh, in, in both cases here. So the pressure, the feel for both of these guys is, is sky high. Dante got the edge over Arch for us. One, because it's been more tangibly successful. Uh, Dante went to three straight state title games in the state of Michigan, won the last two of them, um, and, and put together a resume off the field that matched it. Every time we saw Dante Moore at work, he was the best player on the field uh, or the best quarterback in the setting, even in what we're all kind of looking at as the year of the quarterback, right? It's not just these two. It's Nico Iamaliava. We just talked about Jaden Brashada. Um, Jackson Arnold at Oklahoma is a stud. There's so many great quarterbacks. And in the year of the quarterback, whether it was the Elite 11, seven on sevens, any other setting to sort of complement and, and pair with the Friday night evaluation, Dante Moore was the best one out there. And that's the one element we didn't get with Arch Manning. Of course, it was by design. We know there was a bubble that he was operating within, whether it was from a communication standpoint or a performance standpoint. He was all about his high school, which is great. I think the resumes are nearly identical on Friday nights. But when we got to see them live against other comp competitors, against great defenders, throwing to great receivers, Dante Moore was the best we saw this country every single time. So I think that gave us kind of the just the human instinct edge over an Arch Manning who we only saw on Friday nights. And we only saw him against relatively mediocre competition. I think that's an important element to bring up. Uh, private school ball in New Orleans is not uh, what, what the location and the NFL production per capita says uh, about the Crescent City. So I do think that's an important factor to bring up. We've seen Dante do it with and against the best. We haven't seen Arch do it just yet. And in terms of their on-field prospects in year one, look, Dante Moore has got an opportunity to start. Um, and I think that's part of the evaluation here. Um, Chip Kelly... Uh, once Dante decommitted from Oregon, much due to Kenny Dillingham's departure to Arizona State, Chip Kelly was the first guy to get a visit uh, and the first guy to really lock it in with Dante Moore. Notre Dame, Ohio State, a bunch of schools tried to circle back with Dante, but it was really about UCLA and that scheme from the jump. And I think kind of the move to the Big Ten, you know, for a Michigan native is a big deal with Dante. So I think all of that factored in. And even though they've got a portal addition and some young talent in that quarterback room. Dante's the most talented the day he arrives uh, there at Westwood, and he's already there as we speak. And then for Arch, as you mentioned, Quinn Ewers is there, Steve Sarkeesian going into year three. There's a lot of pressure here. Uh, I think this is the prove-it year for Texas, and, and it's always going to be tied to the quarterback position. We, we saw some good, some bad, some inconsistent, some consistent with Ewers uh, in 2022. If he can build on that with the pressure of holding off an Arch Manning, then Steve Sarkeesian looks like a genius. Ewers goes to the NFL and Manning gets the keys in, in 2024. Uh, if Manning sees the field conversely, I'm not sure what that means. Um, if it's as simple as, hey, he beat out Quinn Ewers fair and square, then fine. Arch Manning should have been the number one prospect in the country. But if it's because of a lack of production or drama or injury or anything like that, maybe a slow start to the season, 
it could be bad news for basically all involved other than Manning's early experience. So I think both have the experience, the production, um, the size and, and the wherewithal to make an impact in year one. But if Manning has to make an impact, it's probably not great news for Texas and his head coach, Steve Sarkeesian. So you wonder what that relationship um, becomes mentioned, uh, uh, as the pressure oh, intensifies. Oh, sorry. Mine cut out there. Um, so you mentioned Dante Moore not going to Michigan. And then if you look at the next recruiting cycle, obviously Dylan Riola uh, decommitting from Ohio State made a lot of news. Michigan's been in on Jaden Davis. Um, where with Michigan and Ohio State and their quarterback pipelines, where did where do, it's? I know it's way early, but is Michigan is the pressure on them to nail down one of those two, especially knowing that CJ Carr went to Notre Dame? Yeah, right. A kid in their backyard, obviously a, a legacy prospect to, to the nth degree as the grandson of Lloyd Carr. I think there is pressure on Michigan there. Um, it, it's Recruiting hasn't been the backbone of of the rise and, and sustainability of, of Michigan. It's been on the developmental side. But look, everybody understands that all of the perception begins at the quarterback position. And, and I think it's a big year for Harbaugh if he's there, and J.J. McCarthy simultaneously because you've now shown, hey, you can get to the playoff, uh, but can you get over that hump? And a lot of folks are going to, unfortunately for J.J., tie that to the quarterback position. But if and when there's a threat to get back to the playoff, uh, there's going to be a move made at some point. So uh, establishing more talent in the quarterback room is going to be important. Um, Michigan is not the biggest portal team. Uh, We've seen them lose more than they've gained there. They, they want to be a developmental school, and they've done a great job of it, but that position is still very much under scrutiny. So they've got to nail it in 24 because in 23, uh, there, was, there was really an early exit from trying to land that elite quarterback. Uh, once they missed out on a few guys early on, it seemed like Michigan turned turn the page to 2024. So, yeah, I do think you've got to land one of the elite arms uh, in the class. Uh, Ohio State might be in a similar boat. We don't know what it looks like beyond C.J. Stroud. You know, we know the names competing, but Ohio State had an up-and-down year recruiting the position. Again, That they were Dante Moore's dream school, uh, but they didn't really circle back early enough after the Oregon decommitment to to play a factor late in the game there. Uh, and then they they lost a quarterback commitment in Brock, uh, not Brock Purdy, but Brock Glenn, who ended up at Florida State. They did go out and flip Lincoln Keenholz from Washington, a big-time dual-threat athlete. So we'll see how he develops. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's been a lack of five-star type talent heading uh, to Columbus at the quarterback position after this great run we've seen recently, you know, from Justin Fields to C.J. Stroud. So I do think there's a bit more pressure on Ohio State overall, uh, especially relative to their chief rival on the field. But it does trickle down to recruiting and the quarterback position. It feels like kind of a big year for Ryan Day in that regard uh, on top of everything else. So they've got to answer that question, especially after losing the number one recruit in the country, theoretically, in in Dylan Rayola. There's really no buzz about them staying in that race here going forward. It's more so in the Nebraska-Georgia USC front uh, relative to Rayola. So Ohio State's got to circle the wagons in 2024 for sure. And at the quarterback position, it's not too early to talk about it because these decisions are coming pretty fast and furious from those elite juniors. All right, John. Very good. Thank you very much for uh, catching our audience up. Before you go, uh, I always ask Bender a Trochi trivia question, but I'm going to let you sit in on the Trochi trivia question this week as well. I'll let Bill get the first crack at it. It's going to be an Arizona State 
themed question since uh, Jaden Rashada is headed to Arizona State next year. Since Arizona, since the Pac-10 became the Pac-12, it was 12 years ago. Uh, and if we throw out the pandemic year, there's been 11 seasons, not 12, 11 seasons since uh, Arizona State's been competing in the Pac-12. How many bowl games has Arizona State been to in those 11 seasons? I mean, I know it's kind of a guess. I don't expect you to know exact, but let's let's see how close you can get. How many bowl games has Arizona State been to in the last, throwing out the pandemic, the last 11 years? Well, John's the guest. I'll let, I'll let you throw out the first guess. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh, man. I'll probably just play the averages here, and I'll say – five of the last 11 it just hasn't felt great recently so i'll assume that it was better earlier in the decade i would say six because i know like graham there were three or four there it's between four and six so i'll go the high end and say six i'm gonna fool both of you nine oh <laughs> got nine us on out of 11 now, that's that was the point of the question like they're actually i mean they haven't been good good but they've actually been over 500 more than you realize. Um, right. And they have, they, you know, now Dillingham, I mean, they are a fascinating team to watch this uh, fall because Dillingham, he's in his thirties. He's never coached before. He's bringing in 25 transfers and he has a 22 player high school class coming in. That's 47 <laughs> new players for a 30 something year old first time coach. So their uh, their floor and their ceiling are pretty far apart, I would imagine. So it's going to be fun to track Arizona State. John, we are definitely have you back as uh, things progress through the summer, uh, in any sort of developments, the Elite Eleven camps, all the uh, rivals, five star camp, El Americas, whatever. Uh, Pickerington, can- Ohio. Get John if you're ever down in Pickerington, Ohio. That's where I live, and there's a ton of four and five star talent rolling through here, as you know. Uh, so uh, anytime you're here, I'll, I'll, I'll get the first beer. <laughs> Sounds good. And if you guys are in Miami, let me know. Likewise. Yep. Very good. All right. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining. Uh, we will be back next week to uh, discuss uh, some quarterback situations around the country. Uh, the the top. 10 uh, quarterbacks who passed on the NFL draft. I did a story on that last week at sportingnews.com. Also looking at uh, where some of the uh, class of 2020 quarterbacks have been uh, and where they ended up and the, the five stars and who's transferred and who who's in the NFL, who's not. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting look back. I was scrolling through the names the other day and I want to explore that next week as well. So thank you again, everybody for listening And we will see you next week on the CFB Nation All-America Podcast.